On this Pentecost morning, we're going to be considering this morning uh, Acts chapter 2, the account of the coming, the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit in accord with the ancient promise of God to the people of Israel. I'd like to read the entire chapter, chapter 2, but our focus this morning will really be on verses 14 and following, uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, which really helps us understand that the purpose and the significance uh, of this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all the nations gathered there in Jerusalem that morning. So please follow along with me as I read from God's holy word, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, 
loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed and were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here we end our reading in Acts chapter 2. Well, dear saints, today uh, we celebrate Pentecost as the, the last main calendar day in the liturgical year, following Christmas and Good Friday and Easter and the Ascension, which we had the opportunity to celebrate about a week and a half ago here in a special worship service. And as much as Pentecost certainly doesn't receive the kind of press that 
Christmas and Easter do. Uh, Pentecost is nevertheless uh, one of the most important and valuable celebrations and commemorations for the church and for each and every one of us as believers. Pentecost is all about Christ Jesus continuing ministry on earth by sending the Holy Spirit in power upon His new covenant church, just as He promised He would. Boys and girls, you might remember uh, in your Sunday school studies that, that before Jesus left this earth, before He ascended to go to the Father, He told His disciples to make sure that they stayed in Jerusalem because there they would receive the promise of the Father. Jesus said to them that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from then. And then on Pentecost morning, 50 days after Passover, Jesus fulfilled that promise to His followers. As disciples gathered in their upper room that Sunday morning, suddenly the sound of a rushing wind filled their house, signaling the Spirit's life-giving presence in their midst. And suddenly tongues like fire rested on each and every one of them, signifying the cleansing and purifying holiness of God. And then these men, common, ordinary men, many of them fishermen, ordinary Galileans, could preach in the language of every nation under heaven, revealing that the gospel of grace is for all kinds of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Well, as we look at this, this miraculous Pentecost event this morning from Acts 2, I want us to understand that this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church was the fulfillment of an ancient biblical expectation about God's promise to save sinners and build His church by the Word of Jesus Christ. To see that ancient promise fulfilled here in Acts 2, it's helpful for us to look at the Old Covenant context of Pentecost. So I want to do with that with you for just a moment here. As I said, Pentecost doesn't get a lot of press in the church, really only gets a passing mention in most churches today. But in reality, Pentecost was among the most important festivals or feasts of the Old Covenant. In Deuteronomy 16, you're welcome to turn there with me. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Deuteronomy 16. There in Deuteronomy 16, we have recorded three key festivals that God had instituted for His people to celebrate. They were to celebrate these once a year. The first you're very familiar with, Passover, a wonderful celebration of Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. The third was the Feast of of booths. This was a time to come together and give thanks for the harvest that had been taken in. And right between those two feasts, God called Israel to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Weeks, a celebration uh, of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. This, the celebration of the Feast of Weeks, was Pentecost because it was celebrated seven weeks, 50 days after Passover. We read a little bit about that feast here, beginning at verse 9 in chapter 16. God said to the people of Israel, you shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. 
Then you shall keep the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. So this was a, an important event in the religious life of the people of Israel, a time for them to come together to give thanks for the physical provision of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, to give thanks and to pledge that they would obey the statutes of God. And while many other feasts that the people of Israel celebrated could be celebrated anywhere, even in their own hometown, these three feasts that I just talked about here from Deuteronomy 16, these all required a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the city of David. Uh, gatherings like this would have provided a wonderful, joyous opportunity to meet together with family and friends to, to celebrate the Lord's goodness. More importantly, it brought all of the covenant people of the Lord together in one place, reminding them of a previous event in which they had all gathered together at the foot of Mount Sinai as God's covenant people to receive God's law. In fact, as time went on, as time went on, the ancient Jews began to associate Pentecost with the giving of God's law to Israel. And that makes sense. We consider that Pentecost was a day to give thanks for the provision of grain to, to meet the people's physical needs. Well, likewise, God's law given at Sinai was necessary for His people to thrive spiritually wherever they found themselves. So Pentecost was as good a time as any for the people of Israel to rejoice in the revelation of God's law to Moses and to the people of Israel. And yet we know, of course, that the law of Moses didn't make a single Israelite righteous. In fact, Paul, the, the great Pharisee, once Pharisee, said in Romans 7 that he came to know his sin through the law of Moses, sin that produced death in him. And so, it was at this day, on this day, at this annual feast of Pentecost, when the city of Jerusalem was filled with Jewish pilgrims from all over the Roman Empire, have come to give thanks to God for the grain and for giving His law, no doubt many of them coming thinking that they could be right with God by obedience to His law. It was on this day, during this feast, that the Spirit was given, that Christ gave the Spirit of life. Like at Sinai, where God appeared in thunder and fire and wind, so also that Pentecost morning, God's glory filled the apostles' upper room and shook the entire city of Jerusalem. As God had summoned His people around Him at Sinai, so, so all of Jerusalem flocked to see what was going on, this miraculous thing that was happening. As God gave His law to Israel at Sinai, so on this day, God gave the spirit of holiness on Pentecost, the spirit who would enable His people to keep and obey His law. And it's with this rich Old Covenant context in the background, the apostles are filled with boldness 
and they begin to preach the gospel to the crowds that have gathered there that day. We read in verse 14 of Acts 2, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. What has happened to Peter? What has happened to Peter? What has happened to this, this errant, timid, fearful disciple? that he should suddenly stand up in the midst of this great crowd, no doubt a hostile crowd, and preach a powerful sermon. But what has happened to Peter, of course, is that he has seen the resurrected Jesus. And God has emboldened him and equipped him with an extraordinary usefulness by the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim to all who are there from the Scriptures the message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel of grace. So Peter assures the crowd that, in fact, he and his, the other apostles are not drunk. It's only the third hour. It's only nine in the morning, far too early for them to have had the opportunity to drink to excess. No, they have been uniquely equipped by the Holy Spirit to proclaim to all nations the message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And what we need to understand, secondly, is that this is the primary focus of Peter's sermon. This is the primary focus of Pentecost, to make the crowds and to make us understand that what they have witnessed in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is all about the ongoing ministry of Jesus Christ on earth to draw sinners to Himself. And so Paul, in his sermon, beautifully traces the ministry of Jesus through his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension and his exaltation to the right hand of God, all with the goal, all with the purpose and the aim of convincing those in the crowd of this important, important realization, which really is the center of his sermon. Verse 36 let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Peter will go on to say that Pentecost is all about the Spirit's call to repent and believe in the one true Savior promised through all of history. And there's a lot of rich biblical detail here. This is just a short summary of Peter's sermon not the entire thing. And even then, there's a lot of rich biblical detail here. I want to just point out two significant details in how Peter uses the Old Testament to convict and to convince his listeners that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, the one whom they crucified. First, notice with me that Peter wants to convince his audience that the Holy Spirit has come because Jesus has now been exalted at the right hand of God as the Lord of the universe. He wants them to understand that Pentecost is not about the Holy Spirit ultimately, but about what Christ is continuing to do through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he does here. First of all, in verses 17 through 21, he quotes from the prophet Joel, uh, this wonderful pro uh, prophecy that God would pour out His Holy Spirit on all flesh, uh, old and young, men and women, 
uh, great uh, wonders would surround uh, the coming of the Lord in power by His Holy Spirit. And then in verse 21, uh, Peter chooses to quote this portion of Joel chapter 2. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, in the Old Testament, the word Lord, the name Lord, referred to the divine covenant name of God, Yahweh, that special name that God used to reveal Himself and His faithfulness to His people. And after quoting this portion of Joel, Peter says to the crowd in verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with signs and wonders, this Jesus whom you crucified is He. That's who this Lord is that Joel was, was prophesying about here. This is who the Lord is upon whom you must call and believe in order to escape the judgment of the great day of the Lord. Now, as Christians, that doesn't really phase us all that much. But can you grasp how significant that was for Peter, a Jew, to say to his fellow countrymen, his fellow Jews, he's saying that Yahweh, the covenant Lord, is none other than Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign King of heaven and earth. He's the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. It's all about Jesus Christ. And that's what the Spirit has come to reveal. It's about Jesus Christ and the salvation that He accomplishes even for those who crucified Him. Peter demonstrates this as well as he moves on and preaches about Jesus' resurrection. Look with me at verses 24 through 35. Here, Peter is again quoting from the Old Testament from a Psalm of David, Psalm 16, which we sang earlier. Uh, the Dave, uh, David here uh, is writing about the Lord's faithfulness uh, and the hope that he has in the Lord, the paths of life and blessedness that the Lord gives those who trust in Him. But the key verse here that Peter quotes is verse 27. There David writes, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, the place of death, or let your Holy One see corruption. And then Peter pauses, he stops, and he explains the meaning of this psalm. In verse 21, he essentially says to them, Brothers, I can say with absolute confidence that King David's corpse is in the grave. If you don't believe me, come, let's take a tour. I'll show you where his body is buried. And the point of Peter, of course, is this. Of whom was David really speaking when he said, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see decay. Peter is helping them understand that this could only be said of Jesus Christ. It's always been about Jesus Christ. And even David, to a very real degree, as a prophet, understood this. Look what Peter says in verses 30 to 35. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. 
He, that is David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Even David understood that the Savior would come and he would rise from the dead to fulfill the meaning of the Feast of Weeks, to fulfill what Pentecost was all about, this celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, because Paul tells us that Christ is the first fruits of all those who will be raised from the dead. Just as the first fruits offered to God under the old covenant anticipated a fuller, bigger harvest to come, the resurrection of Jesus anticipates the bodily resurrection of all of His people, of you and of me. And so even the feast that the Jews were joyously celebrating that Pentecost morning had always pointed to Jesus Christ, had always pointed to the salvation that He would come to accomplish. And that's the essence of Peter's sermon that Pentecost morning, that the Spirit has come to confirm and to continue Jesus' ministry and to apply His saving work. And after laying out all these proofs from the Old Testament, Peter lowers the boom on the crowd that morning. Again, verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And what happened next is perhaps the most powerful and the most beautiful thing about that Pentecost morning. Something more remarkable, really, than the sound of rushing wind. Something more remarkable than tongues like fire resting on people's heads. More remarkable even than the miraculous ability to speak in tongues. The most remarkable thing about that Pentecost morning is what we read in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? What shall we do to be saved? A question that can only be uttered by sinners whose hearts have been radically transformed by the operation of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God about Jesus. And brothers and sisters, on Pentecost morning, and indeed on every Sunday where the gospel is faithfully preached, this is what happens. The Word of God comes in power through the mouths of God's appointed servants, and it pierces sinners' consciences. Like a double-edged dagger, Wielded by the Holy Spirit, the Word leaves us in a state of crying out to God, what must I do to be saved? 
What must I know? What must I believe to live in the comfort and the assurance of the forgiveness of my sins? And Peter's twofold answer to that, that cry of the crowd was this in verses 38 and 39 Repent and be baptized, and you will receive. For, for in the name of, uh, sorry, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Peter says, you must repent. You must repent by the power of the Holy Spirit. You must undergo a change of mind. You must undergo a change of attitude. You must change your outlook and your thinking about God and about yourself and about sin and about Jesus Christ. And indeed, that was Jesus' opening salvo in His own ministry, wasn't it? In Mark chapter 2, the very first words of Jesus' public ministry were these, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, confess your sins, acknowledge them, repent and believe in the gospel. And then Peter says, be baptized. Receive the waters of baptism as a picture of the forgiveness of sins, a sign, a seal of God's ancient covenant promise, an outward picture that we can trust that God, what God says is true, that His Word is true. It's interesting to note that in his first epistle to the churches, first letter, Peter wrote to the churches, and he would compare the waters of baptism to the flood waters of judgment from which God delivered believing Noah and his family. Peter may very well be thinking of that here as he calls the crowd in verse 40 to repent, to believe, to save themselves from their crooked generation. Because the judgment that baptism pictures has actually been taken by Jesus Christ. Jesus underwent the baptism of judgment in order that you and your children and all who are now, now far off might receive through faith in Jesus the blessing of being rescued and delivered from sin. And just on Pentecost morning, when 3,000 souls turned to the Lord, the Spirit continues to work mightily in the world through the Word of Jesus to convince sinners and bring them to repentance and faith in Jesus. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we must never neglect meeting together under the preaching of the Word of God. Because the preaching of the Word is the power of God's Spirit unto salvation for all who believe in Jesus Christ. It's when we come together as a covenant body to to receive and hear the spiritual Word of God proclaimed from the pulpit. So, as we come together to receive the outward promise of all of these truths through the sacraments, it's when we do that when we, as, that we grow into a spiritual body appointed and equipped by God for works of service that are pleasing to Him. It's when we come together to receive the Word of the Spirit 
that Christ continues His ongoing ministry in our community and in our midst. So let us never neglect that, but thank God for the power of the Spirit through the proclamation of His Word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that Pentecost morning to signal the ongoing ministry of Jesus on earth and in our hearts by the Word of God. We thank You that Your Spirit-empowered Word has pierced our hearts, that Your Word has convicted our, uh, us of our sins and has driven us to the foot of Jesus' empty cross, where we behold His completed work of salvation for us. And we thank You that knowing the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins, we can now look upward to our ascended and exalted and reigning Christ, who always lives to make intercession for us. And we pray that our children and all who are far off, all whom You will call to Yourself, would also know this conviction and this grace and this assurance by Your Spirit's transforming work in whose power we pray. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord now our concluding hymn, turning to number 396. 396. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening powers, kindle a flame of sacred love in these cold hearts of ours. Let's stand together singing stanzas one, two, and four. One, two, and four of number 396.